Please turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, as we're going through the scriptures chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Galatians chapter 5. Let's pray together. Father, as we sang, give me Jesus, that's the cry of our hearts tonight, is is we want to know you more, Jesus. We want to draw near to you. We stand in awe of you, that you would love us and that you would grant us freedom. We pray that we would live inside of the abundant life that you've provided for us, that we'd experience victory over sin and true life change. We also ask, Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, You'd baptize us afresh with your spirit. Help us to know what it is to live the spirit-filled life. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Galatians divides itself up into three sections. The first two chapters are Paul's personal experience with grace. He's defending the grace of God, justification by faith. So he begins with his own life. He says, my life has been transformed by the grace of God. Then chapters 3 and 4 is the doctrinal explanation of grace. He takes us back to the Old Testament, to Abraham, and how grace is established in Abraham. We follow in Abraham's footsteps. And then chapter 5 and 6 is the practical application of grace. So what does all of this mean? Paul experienced grace, the doctrine of grace, but what does this mean for my life in 2016 as I'm living in Colorado Springs. And it's really for us to be firmly planted in freedom. That's the title of this message tonight, this chapter, is firmly planted in the freedom that God has given to us and provided for us. I I think that tonight should be an encouragement for all of us as we look at this section of scripture. There's three primary things. First, freedom from the law. And we've been studying that for several weeks. And then freedom to love. And I think this is really important. Is why did God set us free? There's a purpose in our freedom. And that's to love one another. To serve one another. And then finally, freedom in the spirit. And I'll highlight these as we go through. It's the power of the spirit that actually enables us to not give in to the flesh. And be in bondage of sin anymore. So verse 1 of chapter 5. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. This is the theme verse of this epistle. It's the Magna Carta. Freedom in Christ. Now stand fast in the freedom, the liberty that God has granted to you, that Christ has provided. It's a group of churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and they're being tempted to go back under the law to believe that they're saved by works instead of by grace. And Paul's saying, you need to fight for the freedom that you've received. You need to plant yourself firmly inside of the freedom that God has given to you. And Satan's very tricky, isn't he? If he can't get us as believers to go back into sinful living in rebellion to the Lord, then he's going to try to take our freedom through legalism. He's going to try to take our freedom through rules and regulations. Us adopting this mindset, well, if I do these works, then God has favor upon me. If I do all the right thing, then maybe I can earn or deserve salvation. But instead, we're the sons and daughters of God. We're not slaves. We're filled with the Spirit of God. But we have to give diligence to make sure that we're living inside of the freedom that God has provided. I'm sure there's way too many days that I've missed out on experiencing the freedom that Christ has already given to me. 
Christ said his mission, that he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And look at verse one, it says, by which Christ has made us free. What did he go through in order to provide our freedom? He left heaven, the glory of the Father. God in human flesh was rejected. The darkness didn't want the light. Humbled upon the cross, spit upon, his beard ripped out, nailed, crucified, all so that we could be free, all so that we don't have to live under rules and regulations any longer. And it's a big deal if we trade in that freedom. It's something that we understand is that freedom's never free, right? It always comes at a cost. We know this in America, that there's many people that have sacrificed their lives, paid the ultimate price, and continue to lay down their lives so that we can be a free society, so that we can be a democracy. Kent and Becca Nolly, they left to go back to Uganda. They got on a plane this morning to, to go to Uganda. Please pray for them. They're landing uh, into a, a political mess. If you're uh, looking at the news, Uganda's in the headlines today because they had a vote, but their vote isn't a real vote. It's, it's rigged by their president, who's been in power now for 30 years. And he keeps saying, well, you know, I'll step down and there'll be this peaceful process of transition of power, but yet he continues to hold on to power by corruption. So now there's riots in the city and those type of things. And here comes the Nollies. They're landing in uh, to, to Entebbe. They didn't know that it was going to be election when they bought their, their tickets months ago. So please pray for them. But if the Ugandans were here, they would look at us and say, you know, this democracy where your vote counts, uh, that's something that is very, very valuable. And even more so for us as Christians, the freedom that Christ gave to us, though, though it's something that we receive by grace, it was a great price to Jesus Christ. He paid the ultimate price to make us free. So don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You think about that word entangled, and it's to get ensnared. It wasn't that the Galatian churches intended to leave grace, that intended to get into legalism. It trapped them. It, it snuck up on them. They, they gave way to false teaching, to false doctrine, and now they're in this web and they're in this yoke of bondage. Now, what yoke are we supposed to be in, the yoke of Christ? Remember, yoke is two oxen that are linked together, and who are we to be linked to? We're to be linked to Jesus, and we're to learn of him. And Jesus said, if you're linked to me, that you'll find rest for your souls. And so instead of being linked to Christ, they're being linked to rules and regulations. They're being linked to a works-based salvation. And Paul's saying, you need to stand fast in freedom. So in these first six verses, it's our first point, we see that we're freedom from the law. There's, we're free from the law if you're taking notes. In verse two, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Why circumcision? Because it was the teaching of the Jews that in order to be part of the people of God, as a Gentile male, you had to be circumcised. So for the men to be circumcised, they're accepting a workspace salvation. So Paul's saying Christ means nothing to you. There's no, no value to the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And that's true for cults that believe in a works-based gospel. They minimize the person of Christ and also the work of Christ upon the cross. It's not a big deal. It's like, oh, that's great that you believe in the cross. That's a good starting point. That's a good place for you to begin, and, and then you can make sure to earn your salvation by works. In verse 3, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised 
that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Paul's saying you can't just be circumcised and think that you're good. If you're going to have a works-based theology and salvation, you have to keep the whole law. What if you're speeding and you get pulled over on Academy Boulevard? The speed limit, I believe, is 45 miles per hour, and, and you're going 65 miles per hour, and the police pull you over, and, and you say, well, you know, I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen anything. I don't have any criminal record. Are they going to go, okay, that's great. Be on your way. Thank you for not ever killing anybody, you know, or ever stealing anything, or that's great that you haven't assaulted someone and punched them in the face. Have, have a nice day. They're going to write you a ticket probably because you broke the law. And that's the deal with the law. The law is not merciful. And so you might do really well in 90% of the law, but when you break it, then you're a debtor to the whole law. In verse 4, you've become estranged from Christ. You who attempted to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. These are strong words. The word estranged, it means to abolish, to set aside, to wipe out. Saying you've wiped out your relationship with Christ. You're estranged from Christ. You've fallen from grace. And that's what happens when we start trusting in works. We're looking to our efforts instead of being linked to Christ. Now, I would imagine that most of you tonight, you are solid in the gospel. You're solid in the fact that you are saved by grace. In your heart of hearts, you know that you don't have a works-based salvation. But yet, some part of us still thinks that we have a merit relationship with God. That somehow he's the employer, we're the employee, and we're like, God, I put in a good week of work, so please give me my merits. Please give me what I deserve. And before long, we're getting linked to pride. We're getting linked to works, and we're getting estranged from Christ. There's something beautiful about saying, it's simple, I'm linked to Christ. I love Christ. I'm trusting in his grace and favor to pour into my life instead of my works. If you're trusting in your works, that's a very depressing and up and down road to be on. Instead, I'm trusting in Christ. I'm trusting in his love. I'm trusting in his favor. I believe in the long run, it leads to much more righteousness. Because trusting in Christ and responding to Christ goes far more than rules ever could. Fallen from grace. How could they fall from grace? Because grace has to be grace. Grace can't be God giving us a paycheck for our works. Verse 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So the Spirit of God, which is an active part of this text, is stirring us to trust in righteousness by faith, to wait for that ultimate day when Christ perfects us. And verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Avail means to help or to profit. So circumcision doesn't help you. It doesn't profit you. It doesn't get you closer to God. And to a Jew, this would be mind-blowing. What? That circumcision is no big deal now under the new, new covenant of grace? What does Paul say is important? Faith, which works by love. So it's faith and trusting in who Christ is and what Christ has done, and then we respond through love. You may be talking with someone in the fellowship, a man in the fellowship, a husband in the fellowship, and say, what are you doing on your day off? Well, I'm going to do some painting. I'm going to finish the dishwasher. I'm going to go out and mend the fence. I'm going to start working on the weeds and the yards. And you're thinking, well, what's gotten inside of you? 
You know what's probably gotten inside of him? Love. He's actually concerned with the honey-do list. And it's not Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is past, and you're going, man, he's touched by love. He's, he's working through, through love. And see, it's not that holiness isn't important or, or living according to, to God's word. It's the motivation of the heart. It's a response to God's love empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we're in love with Jesus Christ, it does work. It does respond in the way that we live our lives. Jesus even told us, if you love me, keep my commands. So, so love is expressed in obedience. And, and there is work that comes with love, but it, we're not working to try to earn or deserve our salvation. So we're free from the law. I hope that we've grasped that as we've studied Galatians. And now we see that we're free to love. In verses 7 through 15, free to love. You ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This is an illustration, once again, from the Olympics, which is a favorite thing for Paul to do. He's picturing in his mind two runners that both have their lane. And then all of a sudden, someone comes and cuts them off and hinders them. And that's exactly what he's saying. You were running well, and then someone cut you off, came into your lane, and they hindered you from obeying the truth. We don't know who they are, but some false teachers got to these churches. They made the rounds. They made the circuits. Paul doesn't call them by name, but he's saying someone has influenced you. And we're reminded about how dangerous false teaching is. We always got to make sure that we're running what we're hearing through the word of God. We're checking what we're reading through the word of God. By all means, man, listen to podcasts. Listen to teachers on the radio. I hope that you're reading good, good Christian books. But always take that teaching. Always check what your friend is saying through the word of God because someone can get in your lane and they can hinder you from running well for Christ. This is not what I would want to hear. This is not what you would want to hear. Hey, remember when you used to run well with Christ? Remember when you were in love with him, responding to his grace? You were full stride with Jesus Christ. What happened? Who got in your way? Who, who hindered you? We want to hear, oh, you're running well. You're running strong with Christ. Verse 8, this persuasion doesn't come from him who calls you. Oh, this has got some meat here. Paul's saying, you know what? This conviction, this persuasion, this what you're believing, what you're fighting for, it doesn't come from Jesus. I was convicted by this. Of what I am persuaded about and convicted about, and have opinions about, does it come from Jesus? Does it come from Jesus? Or does it come from some other source? I can tend to be pretty opinionated. Surprise, surprise, huh? You never would have guessed that about me, I'm sure, right? And are those opinions, are they formed in my personality? Are they formed in my likes and my dislikes? Are they formed in my culture? Or is my persuasion formed from my Savior? And here Paul says, what you're believing and what you're living for, it doesn't come from Jesus. And so that's a challenge to us, is my persuasion, is my conviction, is it come from Christ? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of yeast gets inside of this loaf of bread, inside of the wheat, and then it affects the whole loaf. It's the beauty of, of baking. For those of you that are good at baking with yeast, you really have to master it. It's a, it's a difficult thing. I've tried a few times to, to make my own pizza dough and get into baking pizzas. It was a very romantic idea as I searched things on Google. 
But it's, a, it's difficult. You got to get it just right. I mean, this little bit of yeast, it, it, it's an intricate thing. And you've got to do the right things and pound it the right way and get it into the fridge. But there's no doubt that a little bit of yeast, it, it goes a long ways. A little bit of false teaching is going to impact a great way. A little bit of legalism, a little bit of a rules and regulations-based relationship with God, it's going to affect in, in, a, in a large way. It's so important for us to go, you know, I can't swallow just a little bit of lies. I can't swallow just a little bit of false teaching. In verse 10, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. I like Paul's attitude. He's believing all things. He seems to be a good spiritual father where he's saying, you know, I've got confidence in you that you're going to trust the true gospel, that you're going to trust Jesus Christ that you're not going to be hindered in this way. You, you can almost hear the heart of a father. Then he pronounces judgment on the false teachers. And may this be a warning. When we share Christ with others, when we encourage others, if we're pointing them to legalism, if we're pointing them to works, if we're pointing them to trusting in themselves instead of trusting in Christ, we're putting ourselves in the place of judgment. And that, right here in verse 10, it says, whoever's getting you to believe a different gospel, well, then I would pronounce judgment upon them. God's going to come, and he's going to hold them accountable. And verse 11, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So there was rumors, speculation, that Paul was teaching that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Paul's saying that's nonsense, because if I was teaching that, then why would I still be under persecution? Verse 12, I could wish that those who troubled you would even cut themselves off. This is pretty descriptive in the Greek. There were those that were saying, hey, you know what? You need to be circumcised to be saved. And now what Paul is saying in the original Greek, he says, I wish to those false teachers that they would castrate themselves. That's literally what is being said here. Now, Paul doesn't beat around the bush, you know? That's, that's really direct. I think Paul's a little bit upset here. He's getting right to the point and saying, guys, if you're going and teaching that these guys need to mutilate their flesh in order to be right with God, if they need to keep all these rules and regulations to be saved instead of trusting in Christ, then I wish to you that you'd just be, be castrated. Any questions from the Apostle Paul? Verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. I want you to hear that. You have been called to liberty. That's what God has called you to. Is that your understanding of the Christian life, that God has called you to freedom and to understand a biblical definition of freedom? Because it's not a cultural definition of freedom. Freedom, as we're going to see in just a moment, is not do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you feel good. You're your own boss. But freedom is a life where Christ leads us. There's freedom found in surrendering to his lordship. Freedom from sin. Jesus Christ came to set us free so we're no longer slaves from sin. And God's definition of freedom is much more life-giving than our own definition of freedom or the cultural definition of freedom. But that's the Christian life, is abundance, the, the abundant life. Not how much you possess, not how easy life is, but to know in my heart and my spirit, I'm a child of God. I'm not a slave to my temper anymore. I'm not a slave to sexual desire anymore. I'm not a slave to, to covetousness any longer. 
I'm a slave to Christ. I'm surrendered to Christ. He's called me to freedom. He's called me to liberty. And it goes on to say, only to not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. So there is a limitation on our freedom. There's a responsibility on our freedom that we wouldn't use our freedom as an opportunity to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And the flesh is our sinful nature because if we're giving into our sinful nature and our freedom, then we're gonna become slaves again. And Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty of our sin and also so that the power of sin could be broken in our lives. So I think that there's a real misunderstanding sometimes in this area of freedom amongst believers. Well, God has been gracious to me. He's forgiven me, so so I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm free to sin. God's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He's a a kind God. So he doesn't really care if, if I just continue to walk in this sin. And that doesn't line up with the heart of the Father. It doesn't line up with you as a heart of a parent. If you know that something's destructive for your child, say you've got a young child, you know that there's stuff that's underneath the sink that could kill them. What if you have a two-year-old that really loves to play in all of the chemicals underneath the sink? Are you gonna look at them and say, Johnny, I don't wanna crush your creativity. You know, I want you to have freedom. I want you to have the abundant life. So you just play in all of those chemicals that are underneath the sink. No, you've got a better definition of freedom. It's called life. If you drink all these chemicals, you're gonna die. So I don't want you to go there. I'm gonna limit this. I don't want you to use your life on the flesh, on all these things that are gonna destroy you. And so that's the heart of the Father. He's saying, don't go this, this direction because I have life for you, but here's the purpose of the freedom, but through love to serve one another. So Christ died for us, he rose again, he's filled us with the Spirit so that we can serve one another. That's the purpose of our freedom. That's why God has given it to us. I think we have to look at what we believe and go, well, God, have you done this in my life just for my own well-being? And the answer would be no. As much as we would like to say that, yeah, God has done that for our well-being, but sometimes we walk around with this tremendous gift that's been given to us and we forget that God has done all this in our lives so that we can be used by him to bless others, that we can be used by him to to serve others. It's, It's missing the whole entire point. Okay, God, you've done this for me. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven by you so that I cannot focus on myself, but I can focus on others and serve in love. That's why you're free. That's the purpose of it. So we get to go around being in love with Jesus, responding to his grace, and just simply looking to love our neighbor as ourself, to build them up, to encourage them, to encourage believers, to share the gospel with unbelievers. That's the purpose of of the freedom. If we think the purpose of the freedom is self-gratification, we've missed it. The purpose of the freedom is, is to serve and love. It's a wonderful way to live. It's how God instructs us. Verse 14 expresses this. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you want to be an Old Testament scholar? Here it is. It's summed up in this, love. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The church I grew up in had a school of ministry, and I went through it after Bible college. 
I think there was somewhere between 25 and 28 guys that went through this school ministry that year. I, I can't remember. It's been a lot of years exactly how many of us there were. But the church bought a four-bedroom A-frame house that was connected to the property of the church. And the, the church was kind of out, outside of town, but it was a very large uh, church, thousands of people coming and, and, and driving out. So we get into our first day of school. And imagine 25 guys, let's say, living in a four-bedroom house. There was only two restrooms. Well, that's as far as I'll go with that. Uh, so our pastor, his name was Jim Wright, and he says, all right, guys, here's the rules for the school of ministry is I want you to love one another. That's your only rule. So all of the questions on that you have, if you should do this or you should do that, is all answered in this one question. Are you loving one another? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? And that was literally the only rule that was in the whole entire school. So he had all these questions and he would Answer, again, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, remember, this is Oregon. This is Southern Oregon. So this one kid raises his hand. He goes, well, can I bring guns into the A-frame house? Can I storm under my bed? Because I don't have a place to live. I don't have a place to store my guns. So can I storm under my my bunk bed? And guess what Pastor Jim's response was? Love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, I'll leave it up to you. You can bring the guns into the A-frame house as long as you're committed to loving one another and building each other up. And I was just thinking as a 19-year-old kid that was used to a lot of rules, I was like, this is blowing my mind. Like, they're going to let him bring guns into the school. Like, I don't, this must not be an accredited thing here, you know? Like, I don't think, I don't think this is supposed to happen, right? But that, that's how simple it was. And when you're thinking about, well, how should I live my life? And what does this freedom really mean? What's this Christian life? What's this abundant life? Can you say that it's loving God? Can you say that it's loving your neighbor as you love yourself? And that's the message that Christ has given is we know how to care for ourselves. We know how to care for our needs. That's built in by God. And so we start to look around us and our neighbor is whoever is around us and say, how would I want to be treated? Well, I'm going to begin to love them as, as I love myself. We're freed to love. That's the definition of freedom for us. Verse 15 But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So it gives us an idea of what it means to not love. If we go around tearing apart people with our words, we have to know that we're the one that's ultimately going to be destroyed. What if we believed that? Every time that we gossiped about somebody, every time that we took a chunk off of their back, backbiting, that ultimately we would be destroyed. Now, verse 16 through the rest of the chapter is extremely practical and applicable. Lots of freedom. It's freedom in the spirit. It's really the power to be able to say no to the flesh and say yes to love. I bet deep down as you came in here tonight, you don't want to give in to the lust of the flesh. You know it brings death. You know it brings destruction, brings slavery in your life. You're sick of sin in your life. I'm sick of sin in my life. You want to love the way that God's instructed us to love, but a lot of times we don't know where the power is. Where's the power in order to actually make this happen? And it's found in the spirit. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit is a member of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Distinct persons, but yet one. 
distinct roles, but yet one. And when we think about the Spirit, I think a lot of times we get really freaked out, don't we? We start going, well, what is the Spirit? And what's the role of the Spirit? I'm fine with the Father. I love the Son. But the Spirit, I don't understand the Spirit. And if I start walking in the Spirit, does that mean that I'm going to lose control of my body and all these strange things are going to start happening? No. It means that you're going to start walking in love. So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? In the New Testament, when we see this word walk, it's describing a lifestyle. This is the way people got from A to B, was walking. It was their life. Where they walked was their life. And so what this is saying is your life is the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We follow the leading of the Spirit. So we're open to God's Spirit, giving us direction, guiding us, And when the Spirit says, I want you to do this, we say yes. When the Spirit says, hey, don't do that, we say okay. And if we're willing, the Holy Spirit is ready to be extremely active in our lives. When Christ wrote letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation, he always began, he that has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Is my ear attuned? Does my ear want to hear what the Spirit is saying. And if I'm honest, a lot of times the answer is no. We don't want to walk in the Spirit. We don't want to be led by the Spirit because we don't like what the Spirit's going to say. We don't, we don't, we're not open to that direction that, that He's going to bring. And so that's where it starts, is saying, God, I want to hear the voice of the Spirit. How may it look? What, what will it be like? Still small voice of God inside of us. God reminding us of a Bible verse reminding us of a a sermon that we heard, bringing back to our attention a worship song, but God is very clearly in that moment saying, Eric, stop, Don't, don't do this. I don't want you to go there. And most of the time, when we walk into sin, we walk over the person and voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there doing his part in my life saying, don't go there. And then there's times where the Holy Spirit in the positive, saying, go talk to that person. I don't want to talk to them. They're a stranger. Why would I go up and talk to them? They're going to think that I'm crazy. I'm fine right here. I don't want to do it, right? And the Spirit's saying, no, go. I had that wrestling today. Felt the Lord pulling me, saying, just just go up and say hi. I don't want to say hi. I don't say hi. I I stay over here, right? Start to walk by and still feel that leading to go and just, just say hi. So I took a few moments, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Nothing grandiose happened, I gotta tell you. You know, no lightning bolts, no conversions, nothing. You know, just a normal conversation went on with my day. But I knew what the Spirit of God was doing in my life. He's saying, I want you to go out and just, just talk to that person right there. Just, just engage them and, and, and say hello. And as we walk in the Spirit, here's the promise, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that emphasis of this scripture is don't focus on the sin. Don't get preoccupied with the sin. Get preoccupied with your Savior, being in love with Jesus, and following the Spirit. And as we're in line with the Spirit and step with the Spirit, then we're going to find victory over the lusts of the flesh. Verse 17, for the lusts of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, excuse me, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. That's the autobiographical statement of our lives. Okay, we're born again. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. But until we go home to be with the Lord, we have our sinful nature. They are contrary to each other. 
They war against each other. So many ways, the battle is won and lost on what we feed. If we're feeding our spiritual man, things that line up with the Spirit of God, the Spirit is going to be stronger in our lives. But if we're feeding the flesh, if we're putting all of the junk of the flesh into our hearts and our lives, then that's going to be stronger, and a lot of times it will lead out. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So there's a whole other way of living. Instead of its rules and regulations, thou shalt not, don't touch this, don't do that, don't think this, it's I'm just led by the Spirit. I'm following the leading of the Spirit. I'm walking with Christ through the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not under the law. And it leads to far greater righteousness. So Paul defines the works of the flesh, the sinful nature. For the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery or witchcraft, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, which is partying, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not an exhaustive list. Paul says, and the like. And he warned them in times past of these things. And then he says, if you practice such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's important to understand that that's habitually walking in the works of the flesh, a lifestyle of walking in the works of the flesh. The Spirit of God living inside of us as the sons and daughters of God, as we do sin and we walk in the flesh, we will experience conviction. Amen? The Spirit of God saying, ah, Eric, you can't do that. That outburst of wrath, wrath right there was, was sin. You hurt my heart. You hurt others. You need to repent. You need to confess that. And we're getting right with the Lord for sake of relationship. It's not an issue of our salvation, but it is an issue of our fellowship with God, which is, which is so important. So these right here are not a works-based salvation, but it is a revelation. What do I mean? If someone can live in habitual practice of these sins and defend them with no conviction, then they must stop and examine if they have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So a lot of times when I'm talking with individuals, I'll talk with someone who will describe to me something that God clearly says is wrong in their word, and then they'll try to justify it. They'll try to argue with me, saying, you know what, God is really for this area of sin. And in my mind, I'm going, why are you trying to convince me? Like, you know, you're already set in your own mind. I'm not going to bless it. You know, if I don't have holy water in my desk, and even if I did, I wouldn't sprinkle it on you because... You're going in a direction that's against, against God's word. And you should really stop and examine where you're at with Christ if you don't feel any conviction in this. But then someone else who comes in and says, you know, man, I got caught up in this sin. I drifted away from Christ. And I'm feeling terrible about this. I'm feeling convicted. I want to get right with the Lord. Could God ever forgive me? Do you think that I'm the child of God? Yes, absolutely, because that conviction is evidence of the Holy Spirit. This is an important warning in Scripture because it's given three times in the New Testament. It's given in 1 Corinthians, it's given in Ephesians, it's given in Galatians. So it is an important warning for us to heed. Now this is contrast with the fruit of the Spirit. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, singular. It is love. So when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, it's one. It's love. And the rest of the list are attributes of love. So the Spirit of God, as the Spirit is giving us freedom, is moving us in one direction, and that's love. It's agape love. It's God's love. It's not the kind of love that we have in and of ourselves. It's the supernatural love of God that comes as we abide in Christ. Jesus told us in John 15 what? He said, I am the vine. I am that statement of deity that you are the branches. As we're abiding in Jesus and we're connected to Jesus, the fruit comes. Trusting him for salvation, being in awe of who he is, walking with him in relationship, then the fruit is gonna come. This isn't something that we have to try to manufacture in and of ourselves This is the spirit of God that's living through us. So as we're yielding to the spirit, so we're saying, I want to say yes to the spirit, then the spirit's going to lead us in this direction of love. And love is defined. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy. This is an aspect of love, is to have joy. This is different than happiness. Happiness is based on the circumstances. Circumstances, they come and go, up and down. But joy is based on who God is and your relationship with God. So the joy of the Lord is our salvation, knowing that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. To go through this life with a joyful attitude is work of the Holy Spirit in you. Why? Because it's not natural. It's not normal, right? You know that. I know that. The fruit of the Spirit is love expressed in joy, also in peace. This is peace with God, but it's also the peace of God. You're in a terrible situation, a difficult trial, but yet you feel the love of your Father. You feel the comfort of your Holy, the Holy Spirit. God is surrounding you with his peace, and you say, I feel peace. I have a peace that surpasses understanding that guards my heart and mind. Hopefully, as believers, there's a peace about us that's different than the world. It's evident of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us. Long-suffering. What does long-suffering mean? To suffer long. The Holy Spirit, love, is expressed in being willing to suffer long. Sometimes this is suffering long in circumstances. Sometimes this is suffering long with people. Sometimes people just need us to come alongside of them and suffer long with them. They know the answer. They've been told it. They've been pounded with it. And we just need to come alongside of them and say, Holy Spirit, help me to suffer long with them. Kindness. There's nothing like kindness that's expressed through the Holy Spirit. The world can't buy it. The world can't counterfeit it. They can't copy it. It only comes from the Spirit of God. Don't you feel so loved by God when another believer loves you with kindness? And ultimately, you know that doesn't come from them. That comes from the Lord. And again, you don't have to sit there and go, I need to be kind. I need to be kind. I'm not very kind. I need to be more gentle. This happens as we yield to the Spirit as we listen to what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. Goodness, just goodness and faithfulness. Where does faithfulness come from? We're needing faithfulness in our society. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gonna move us in that direction saying, be faithful to your spouse, be faithful to your kids, be faithful to your sexual purity as you're single. Be faithful to serve the Lord. Faithfulness, gentleness, it goes so far. Gentleness many times is the pill which causes truth to be able to be swallowed. 
It's the right thing, but we're giving it in the wrong way. And to be able to give it with with gentleness only can happen through the Holy Spirit. Self-control, self-control. I had an interesting experience this week. I believe it was Monday. And I was coming back from the store, and I had Eileen and Wyatt with me. We were driving on Academy. Eileen's five, Wyatt's three. And I look over my shoulder at a red light, and a guy is getting out of his truck, and he's coming to a guy that's in a Jeep Cherokee. And he says, I'm coming for you. And he's screaming and yelling at him. And something had happened. I'm assuming that the guy in the Jeep Cherokee had cut off the guy in the truck. So the light turns green, right? And so now all of a sudden, this guy in the truck is gating the guy in the Cherokee. And he gets scared. He gets freaked out. So he cuts over into the left lane. And I'm, I'm in the right lane. Then the truck couldn't get over because of other cars that were, were around him. And there's aggressive driving. So the truck then passes the car in the middle lane. And it's about, this is now about a half a mile, three quarters of a mile up Academy while this is happening. And he gets in front of the Jeep Cherokee and he slams on his brakes and forces the Jeep Cherokee to stop. The guy's so freaked out in the Jeep Cherokee, he starts to reverse going the wrong direction on Academy. And I'm just trying to stay out of Dodge, you know? I'm just, like, this is happening around me, and I'm kind of slowing down because I can see how aggressive that, that, that they're driving. And so now the guy's going backwards on Academy, but that's only going to go so far because Academy's busy. And so here's all these cars, and now he's stuck. And the guy gets out of his truck, he's, his chest is all bowed out, and he's screaming and yelling at the guy in, in, in the Jeep, Jeep Cherokee. Now, I got to tell you, I don't know what happened from there because I was like, I'm getting my kids home safe. You know, that, that was my thinking and my leading at that, that moment. So if you want to send me an email on that, you can, but that's what I chose at that moment. I said, you know, I'll let someone else deal with this. I'm getting my kids home safe today. And I thought, you know what? There's such a need for self-control in our society, isn't there? So I looked later in the day, like road rage in Colorado Springs to see if the news had picked this up or something worse happened and and I don't think it developed to something worse because it didn't, didn't make the news. But then there was all these other stories of all this craziness that came up under road rage. But you know what the truth is? I need self-control in my life, you know? I need to grow so much in these areas as I look at the work of the flesh and, and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the Christian life. This is the freedom that God has for us. It's not by power or by might, but by my spirit. God hasn't made it complicated. He's made it simple to say, listen to the Spirit, follow the Spirit. The Spirit's very real. The Spirit lives inside of you. The book of Acts is, is a book that speaks of people's lives that were yielded to the Holy Spirit, and look what could happen and take place. Against such, there's no law. When you're walking in the Spirit, there's no law. And we finish out the chapter, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If you belong to Christ, Christ has crucified our sinful nature, its desires and passions. Romans 6 says we've got to reckon the old man to be dead. It's already happened. It's already taken place. But I need to apply that truth, remind my sinful passions and desires that they're crucified with Christ. It's a continual process. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We're alive in the Spirit, so yield to the work of the Spirit And then let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. As you begin to walk in the Spirit, watch out. Be careful for pride. Because pride can come in there. 
And scripture says, it ends with, don't get conceited. Don't start provoking one another. Don't start envying one another. So let's stand and let's pray. Let's cry out to the Lord to experience this freedom that he gives to us through the power of the Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you've come to give us abundant life. We thank you for your death and resurrection. We pray for a, a deeper understanding of your grace. We want to hold on to your grace. Fall in love with you. God, we pray for a real clear understanding of the freedom that you've given us, that it's for the purpose of serving. It's for the ser- purpose of building other people up. And Lord, forgive us for, for not following the leading of the Holy Spirit, for grieving the Holy Spirit. May we be encouraged as we leave this place that it's very simple, that we simply need to listen and obey to what the Spirit is saying in our lives. And we do ask that through abiding in you, Jesus, through following the Spirit, that there would be more fruit of love that would come. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.